What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go! Email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Here we go! It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go! Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. It's our Valentine's Day edition here of Fantasy Football Today. Welcome to the show. I'm Jamie Eisenberg. That's Heath Cummings joining us from lovely state of Washington. It's our buddy Ben Gretsch, and we're going to be joined later on in the show by Emery Hunt as we break down week two of the XFL. But happy Valentine's Day, gentlemen. I'm sure uh, you're going to hear that a lot over the next couple of days, hopefully from your significant others, not necessarily from me. But I want to wish all of you a happy Valentine's Day as well. Heath, uh, what are your big plans for, uh, for Valentine's Day? I'm going to go to a beach bonfire yeah, and out to dinner. But, you know, I celebrate love all year round. I don't need one day to do it. <laughs> uh, such the romantic that you are. Ben, what about you? What are your big Valentine's Day plans? We don't really have much planned. I asked my wife what she wanted to do. She said it's the kids' holiday now, which, you know, every wife's going to say. But I got her a pretty nice Christmas gift, so she already told me that counted for Valentine's Day, too, this, this year. So another, I'm off the hook. Another romantic on the show. Uh, I'm not doing anything for my wife. Um she knows that. She's very happy with that. Uh, she, she's not a big fan of Valentine's Day. But we are going to Disney World, so it's going to be a, a, a fun, action-packed weekend of nice, quiet, nothing happening. You know, uh, no kids around. It's going to be uh, just the two of us. Uh, yeah, no, not so much. Dealing with a lot of kids. I want to ask you guys uh, a lot of big um, uh, topic of, of discussion is uh, this um, reclining seat thing that's been making the rounds. Uh, you guys both uh, have traveled from time to time. Uh, what's your stance on on reclining seats on the plane? Uh, you should not do it without asking the permission of the person that's sitting behind you. I've reclined once in my seat, and that was <laughs> when there was no one sitting in the seat behind me, and I get really irritated. Like it's bad when you're a little bit tall. Like right. I can't imagine if you were like five foot eight or something not liking reclining, but. It, it, it does bug me, and it really bugs me when I get a drink, and I've got it sitting on the drink tray, and then they slam their seat back, and it jostles it and spills it a little bit. It's really rude. Ben, what about you? Are you a seat recliner? I pretty much agree with all of that. It's funny, though. I, I'd never reclined, but uh, when I came out to Fort Lauderdale just a couple couple of weeks ago to see you guys on my way back, the first plane I was in, I feel like they had a like the most vertical seats I've ever sat in. And my back was actually like locking up. So I had to recline it just like two inches to just, just to like adjust my back. But uh, yeah, I never recline. And I think it, it always frustrates me when people in front of me recline. The only time I do is uh, at night. And, and again, I think you got to be courteous of the people behind you. If you're flying at night, you know, most people are trying to sleep. So I think almost everybody does recline, but it stinks if you're in one of those seats that can't recline. But I think also if somebody does recline in front of you, try and be courteous and maybe have a conversation and not necessarily punch the person's seat yeah, uh, in front of you. 
I don't ever say anything to people, and I've never ever punched the seat over and over. like he was being a complete jerk about it. The, the, have, the video you're referring. Yes, to. I have intentionally um, like stuck a knee in someone's seat multiple times. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question, uh, Ben. You, you can chime in if you know the answer. But who would you think of all people? Heath hates hates people reclining their seats. Well, it's the reason that I made the comment about the five foot eight thing. Um, <laughs> I would guess it's like the guy that hates everything, Pete Prisco. That's right. Pete Prisco hates people reclining their seats and would be somebody that would punch in the back, uh, punch somebody in the back. Not repeatedly, but he right. he would stick a knee in the in their back or do something to uh, <laughs> to annoy them. If you can go figure. And yes, uh, Pete Prisco drink. So uh, what we're going to talk about here on today's show is going to be a lot about the 2019 rookie running back class. Uh, they are now entering their sophomore seasons. And we're looking at their dynasty value. We're talking about all sorts of formats, but we're going to focus on half PPR here. So it's going to be something that we spend a lot of the show talking about. Then we'll get into some XFL talk, DFS, uh, seasonal as well. For those of you that are still enjoying the XFL, it was a fun start week one. Maybe not so much for you, Heath Cummings, in terms of your seasonal. Oh, I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> you enjoyed watching it. Plenty fun. Probably not so much setting your lineup. Ben, I'm sure, is going to have much more content on the site. He's already provided a review of week one, and we'll be previewing week two as well. Uh, we're going to talk about some 2020 sleepers coming up next week. That'll be next Thursday. We'll getting you ready for the upcoming season, talking about some preliminary sleeper picks for all of us. I'll have a first run of sleepers, breakouts, and busts on the site on cbssports.com. Uh, it is a very early version, pre-free agency, pre-the NFL draft. We just like to get some content out there for you to digest and start to look at some guys that could have an impact moving forward. But we're going to spend some time on the podcast talking about those guys as well. But before we get there, let's look at the 2019 running back class. And I really encourage all of you to take a look at uh, some of the videos we did from Radio Row on CBSSports.com, CBS Sports HQ. We spent some time with Josh Jacobs, spent some time with Miles Sanders, two of the more prominent players of this class, uh, and what they had to say about not just their seasons, but what their outlooks are moving forward. I thought it was very interesting, some of those conversations. Wouldn't you agree, Heath, especially what Jacob said about maybe being more of a pass catcher, Sanders being more of a, of a workhorse? Yeah, and the fun thing is everybody wants to be a workhorse. Like even Derrick Henry we talked about and said, yeah, yeah, I want the ball, I want the ball. They all want that. It's going to be interesting to see if any of them get that moving into their second year Sanders had to share with Jordan Howard for the first half of the year do they bring someone else in to continue sharing Jacobs never really did get the work in the passing game and they gave Jalen Richard five million dollars so it's hard to believe he'll get it now and then Singletary the Bills front office has already talked about we've got to add somebody to the running back room if it's someone like TJ Yeldon you don't worry about it but if it's someone that's kind of good could be interesting it's a good running back class as well coming into the NFL from the college ranks uh Ben, of these guys, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, before we get into all of them, Devin Singletary, we'll throw David Montgomery in there as well. Who's your favorite moving forward? Sanders, uh, and pretty clearly for me. I, I am a little concerned about how much Doug Peterson has rotated, and we'll see if that continues. But he did seem to commit to Sanders pretty clearly late in the year, even as Boston Scott. I mean, yes, Jordan Howard went down, but Boston Scott was was productive and was playing that Darren Sproles role that um, Peterson has always liked, that pass-catching role. And even as that was happening, uh, Sanders was playing just a ton of snaps. I mean, Scott was just basically a, a number two. Sanders was still getting targets. And and I think there's a pretty good chance that we can continue to see that. But it's the pass catching. And, and he made a great point about Jacobs. I just don't think that we're going to see that. You know, we want we would love to see it for fantasy. But I just don't think with that contract they gave to Jalen Richard that we're going to see that pass catching for for Josh Jacobs spike. All right, so let's let's start with Jacobs. I don't want to cut you off there, Heath, but we're going to spend some time on each of these guys and a little bit more in detail. So let's start with Jacobs. In PPR, he was the number 21 running back um, 
based on his finish. He was number 15 on a per-game basis at 14.9 points per game. In non-PPR, he was number 14 running back, number 11 on a per-game basis at 13.4 points per game. And as we know, he missed some time with the shoulder injury. It cost him some production toward the end of the season, as we know. Uh, that's where DeAndre Washington came in as a good handcuff, as uh, Heath and uh, Ben have alluded to. What Jalen Richard did as a pass catcher. So week 14, week 16, week 17, Josh Jacobs did not play. Um, right now going into 2020, our initial rankings, consensus-wise, he's about running back 12. I have him at 12. Dave has him as a, at 11, Dave Richard. And he threw a little bit further down at number 18. I'm probably a little bit too aggressive on Jacobs with the hope that he's going to be a little bit more involved and stay healthy. But as we know, he wasn't a, uh, a typical Alabama running back, and maybe that helps him moving into his second season in the NFL, that the wear and tear is not as bad, uh, also moving to Las Vegas. But why the uh, the concern that he's not closer to a number one guy, more of a entrenched number two guy for you? It's the same concerns that I had last year, and it's, one, can he handle 300 touches and stay healthy for a full season? He wasn't able to do that last year. I'm not, I, like, I'm not saying Josh Jacobs is injury-prone by any stretch. But he got hurt. Yeah, the debate we had coming into last year was he never had those touches does it help him because the treads on the tire or is it a little bit of a concern because we haven't seen him do it I was more in that camp I'm still in that camp and then the other thing is just the thing we've already talked about a lot of times it's the the targets in the passing game because those rankings you were talking about are full PPR and 10 15 catches can make a big difference now I do think there's room for growth he averaged 100 yards per game last year he could score more touchdowns if the offense is a little better um, there's plenty of upside. There's just guys I like more. And some of those, you know, games that he was actually performing well, one in particular, I know because we spoke to him at the Super Bowl about it, was against the Chiefs when he had 12 carries for 99 yards, essentially in the first half. And then he left with an injury, uh, the shoulder injury he was playing through toward the end of the season. Ben, you said Miles Sanders is your favorite. How does he compare to Jacobs, more specifically from the Jacobs side of things? Is he far behind Sanders? Is he close to Sanders? You know, how do you sort of view Jacobs coming into 2020? Yeah, I think Jacobs would be relatively close to Sanders. I, I still think we, you know, we have to keep Jacobs. I, I don't think 12 is that crazy. I don't really think he's crazy at 18. I think he should be in that range of running back. Uh, I certainly won't have him outside my top 20 or anything crazy like that. He was very good as a runner, and and the people that like him or like stats like evaded tackles and broken tackles, he's going to show out well in all all those types of metrics. But those don't necessarily correlate as well to fantasy production as you know something as simple as receptions and you know the high value touches we talk about he did get a ton of of green zone red zone work short area work and and score plenty of, of rushing touchdowns but he looks like he's going to have a capped ceiling if they continue to throw and the guy that that comes to mind for me is joe mixon everybody wanted his pass catching role to expand in the last several years but People just ignored that they gave Gio Bernard a decent-sized contract to be the number two a couple of years ago. And what we've seen over the last couple of years is they, the team did that for a reason, and they continued to use Gio Bernard other than just a couple of weeks this past year where Bernard was got banged up a little bit during the games. Mixon hasn't really been, been an every-down back, and I kind of think that's where we're headed with Jacobs. Who do you like better, Jacobs or Mixon? I mean, if we're talking dynasty, I'll definitely take Jacobs. He's a few years younger, and I, I don't know, like, they're both in bad offenses right now. They're both in situations that aren't great, but I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic that things might get fixed for Jacobs than I am. It's been so long in Cincinnati. Um, but they're, again, relatively close. I just think the youth would make the difference in Dynasty. Uh, un understandably so. Uh, you know, Jacobs, again, entering his second season. 
Uh, does the quarterback matter for the Raiders in this regard? Because we know that they be, might be moving on from Derek Carr, Tom Brady, somebody that they've talked about. You know, we don't know if they're going to actually make a move in the draft to take one of the younger quarterbacks. Are they going to be aggressive in free agency or a trade? You know, maybe Andy Dalton. Is that somebody that they feel is an upgrade over Derek Carr? I don't know. Uh, Dak Prescott, Phillip Rivers, you know, who knows what they may be exploring. But does that matter to you in terms of Jacobs and who's operating this offense? It's going to be Gruden's offense, but does it matter who the quarterback is? If it was a really good quarterback, then, yeah, I could see a, a small bump. The problem is most likely any quarterback that you get is going to be more interested in throwing downfield than Derek Carr is. Not if it's Brady. Well, if it's Brady, maybe not. But And so the targets like even could go down a little bit more if they had more of a downfield thrower. I just look at Jacobs, and I think we're going to see a workhorse rusher in the regards of first and second down work, work at the goal line. You know, I think he does have the chance. I think one of the Super Bowl props was Robbie Gold points versus – Jacobs touchdowns. He had seven touchdowns last year and it was, can he get to, you know, 10 touchdowns? You know, is, is that something that's realistic? I think so. If he plays 16 games, you know, if he, yeah. you know, one or two receiving scores and then what he does on the ground, I just hope he stays healthy. That's the biggest thing. If he stays healthy, I think he does have the chance to be a number one running back, regardless of format, better in non PPR than PPR, but obviously keeping Jalen Richard and the targets and what he does with uh, what Richard does with DeAndre Washington sort of caps the ceiling for what Jacobs could be, and that hurts. And I do have Jacobs projected for nine next year. So I mean, that's, I I do have him projected for a boost, and he's my he has a top twelve running back for me in non PPR as right. well. Like there's right. a big difference in those two rankings. So he goes about six spots higher at least right. in in the two formats. Let's move on now to Miles Sanders. Uh, ben, you said he's your favorite guy. I know you sort of outlined it a little bit before, but what do you think the ceiling can be for Miles Sanders if in fact they don't add somebody of significance? Let's say it is Sanders and Boston Scott as the top two guys. Guys, and then they're backfilling. I know it's not this guy in particular, but like a Wendell Smallwood or somebody that we've seen in recent years in Philadelphia that's not necessarily feature back type of guy, but somebody that can just sort of be a break glass in case of emergency if Sanders does get hurt. Yeah, if that's the depth chart, he'll be in my top 10 pretty easily, probably around eight. Uh, he's a guy I would consider at the back end of the first round in that type of scenario. They they really liked him in, in year one, even as he was a little bit shaky early in the season in terms of efficiency. They still found ways to get the ball in his hands. What One thing I really loved seeing in the first half of the season was that they were throwing passes to him down the field. And we saw that work really well for... Uh, a number of running backs this year. Aaron Jones had a couple of high air yards receptions that that went for big points. Um, Austin Eckler had a long receiving touchdown one week. It's not something that you see every single week from running backs, but they loved to to run him on wheels and get him down the field. And just that type of usage, it, it was very clear that they wanted to continue to feature him in some way and get him the ball. If he goes into 2020 looking like the lead back, I feel very confident about his receiving role. I would feel very confident about his scoring potential in a good offense. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I think he'd be a pretty clear top ten back at that point. Yeah, it's interesting because I like Ben kind of indicated there would be a little gap between Sanders and Jacobs. I've got them back to back in PPR, and if it was half PPR, it'd probably be a coin toss. Because I think with Sanders higher, or Jacobs San- Sanders, I have Sanders higher than Jacobs, just barely though, because I don't necessarily feel comfortable looking at Doug Peterson's history that we're going to see Miles Sanders year after year getting more touches than Josh Jacobs. Now, he might get more valuable touches because he gets more targets, but I think they're probably going to be pretty similar in that Jacobs is going to have more carries than Sanders. Sanders is going to have more catches, which definitely makes him better in PPR, but I'd expect they're pretty close, and I wouldn't be surprised if Jacobs scored more touchdowns. The thing with Sanders that we saw, and I think it's going to be interesting with this Philadelphia offense, is what they do with the receiver position because 
his numbers started to take off a little bit as the injury sort of took hold of this team. And as you saw from essentially their bye week on, week 11 on, 11 carries, 12 carries, 17 carries, 15 carries, 19 carries, 20 carries, you know. So he started to ramp him up a little bit more. That also coincided with Jordan Howard getting hurt. But the catches also were there. Week 12, three catches on five targets. Week 13, five catches on five targets. Four catches on five targets. Week 14, six catches on six targets. So he was essentially being ramped up as a wide receiver. And in some of those games, week 15 against Washington, six catches for 50 yards and a touchdown. Week 16 against Dallas, five catches for 77 yards. So he's got the potential to do that. Now, as we saw, as Ben alluded to, we started to see Boston Scott take over that Darren Sproles role. And we know that's something that Philadelphia really wants to incorporate is a significant pass-catching running back that can work in tandem with the feature guy. In this case, it would be Sanders, but also to sort of take some pressure off of Sanders in that role. So I think we're going to see an interesting offense here. It's going to really come down to, I think, what we get from this Philadelphia offseason, not just competition in the backfield, but also what they do to enhance their receiving core and put weapons around Carson Wentz. Also, some offensive line things to keep an eye on. You have Jason Peters, who's a free agent. Are they going to bring him back? What are they going to do to sort of tweak the offensive line a little bit? And we've had this conversation with the tight ends. How does that impact Dallas Goddard in regards to Zach Ertz as well? Compare Sanders and Jacobs. Is it across the board? Sanders for you and PPR, same? Yeah, I'd take Jacobs probably a non, but even a half, I'd take Sanders. Okay, and Ben is taking Sanders over Jacobs. What about, uh, let's bring back Joe Mixon. We'll throw in maybe a, a veteran guy here, dynasty-wise, like Le'Veon Bell. How does Mixon sort of stack up to Sanders for you, Ben? In in Dynasty or in Redraft? Both. Uh, for Dynasty, I think I'd lead Sanders because I, I think, you know, we have multiple years now of Mixon. I, I, I kind of lean into the uncertainty in these situations. If somebody's going to suddenly break out and be a top three running back, I think they both have that potential. Uh, but we have more of a track record from Mixon that that may not happen. Um and, you know, I, I think there's there's potential that what we saw from Sanders in his rookie season foretells a, a really great career. So I would take Sanders in, in Dynasty. But in redraft, I might still lean Mixon because we do know that this offense is going to get better. Uh, I mean, we all kind of expect that they're going to take Joe Burrow and be a lot better in the passing game. And if that's the case, then that's going to really improve Joe Mixon's scoring potential. You know, you talked about it with Josh Jacobs. If they get a better quarterback in there, he'll probably have more scoring opportunities uh, the the key for Mixon, and we mentioned it before, is Gio Bernard going to continue to take you know half of the routes out of the backfield, um, you know, but that that could happen to Miles Sanders as well, as we mentioned with Boston Scott. So these two are are very similar for me, and I, but I think I would probably lean Mixon and redraft. Yeah, I would put Mixon behind Sanders and Jacobs in Dynasty. Um, kind of sandwiched in between them, depending on the format. But behind Sanders, I, I the one thing Ben said that I think we'll talk about a lot this offseason is I'm just not certain that the Bengals' offense is going to be better this year. Is Joe Burrow going to be a better passer than Kyler Murray was last year or a better passer than any of the rookies were the year before? Because we haven't really had a rookie quarterback be a good passer in some time. We've had some fantasy success because of running the ball and things like that. But I don't know that we should expect that Burrow is just going to come in and be good this year and automatically make the offense better. I think the hope would be for Mixon is that you have like Gardner Minshew was good for Leonard Fournette aside from the touchdowns, but right. he, you know, enhanced his playing ability. Uh, you know, we saw from Kyler Murray and I know, you know, Ben likes to, you know, sort of shy away from pass catching running. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Ben, but correct me if I'm wrong. Pass catching running backs with running quarterbacks, but Kenyon Drake's numbers were very good in Arizona's offense once they, those two guys started to connect a little bit. Um, you know, so I, I think there could still be a, a, a big ceiling for Joe Mixon if everything is working around him. Now you're asking, you know, some guys to come back on the offensive line. Jonah Williams in particular, you know, had that injury last year. 
you're asking AJ Green to come back and play at a high level again to open up the offense, uh, fixing the tight end spot with Tyler Eifert being a, a, a free agent. But I, I still think Mixon has a higher ceiling. I'm, I'm with you on that one, Ben. But obviously, Dynasty League, you're going you're gonna to trend toward the younger guys here. So Sanders and Jacobs have the opportunity to be very, very successful long term. At least that's the hope. Devin Singletary had another interesting rookie campaign in 2019. He was the 33rd running back overall in PPR, 26 on a per game basis at 12.5 points per game. In 2019 in non PPR, he was the number 31 running back, number 26 as well on a per game basis at 10.1 points per game. He had double digit touches in eight of 12 games played. And right now coming in, this was a big rankings discrepancy that we had on CBS Sports HQ when we broke down our rankings last week. But uh, right now, he's consensus number 16. That's because Heath has him a little bit lower at 22. Dave and I both have him at 14. This is our PPR ranking. So, Ben, I'll ask you, where does Singletary sort of slot in for you in comparison to Sanders, in comparison to Jacobs? And do you think he's got a higher ceiling than we showed in 2019? Or is this kind of the guy that we're going to get, depending on who they add to this backfield? Yeah, I think I'd lean more towards Heath. And I think upside upside is what I'm always talking about and looking at with backs. I mean, it's why I would lean Sanders, maybe not on a raw projection um, over Jacobs. But for Singletary, even though he played a lot in the passing game, and I think he was pretty productive, all things considered, in the passing game, considering he had a, a quarterback that likes to scramble, as you're referencing, I, I, the bigger concern for me is the is the touchdown equity, the, the potential to actually score eight, ten touchdowns, which – Playing alongside a quarterback who has, I believe it's nine and eight rushing touchdowns in his first two seasons, that's going to be really tough. Josh Jacobs had, I think, 11 uh, inside the 10 carries last year, um, and Singletary had like two or four. I mean, it was a very small number, and Frank Gore was stealing some of those, but Singletary, and Singletary should expect to get you know some of that work from Frank Gore. But yeah, I just, I to me, he seems like a back that's going to have a hard time filling out all the elements of a stat sheet that are required to be a top five running back. And so I knock him down a little bit, even though I like him and think he'll be a kind of a safe pick. I, I kind of knock him down a little bit because of that perceived ceiling. Yeah. Like Ben said, he was had production in the passing game and he did have several games later in the season, I think where he had targets and where he had catches, but in terms of like on a per target basis, he was terrible in the passing game, 4.7 yards per target. It was only 41 targets, but we had questions coming into the year like we did not view Singletary in the same class as a runner as Jacobs and Sanders For sure. coming into that last year and so 150 carries at five yards per attempt is not going to put him in that class for me yet I still have concerns that the Bills either add a pass catching back or someone to share the load and I agree with the touchdown concerns as well I just think that we're going to see an offense continue to evolve um, I think Josh Allen continues to get better as a passer. I know that's something that you probably don't necessarily agree. It's no, I, I, I think it's very he, possible. Showed, he showed strides from his rookie yeah. year to his second year. And, you know, getting better weapons certainly helped, you know, adding John Brown and, and Cole Beasley. I think Singletary, though, his his speed's a difference maker. I do think that he has the ability to be, as we saw, you know, just looking at his game log, 15 carries against the Dolphins, 21 carries against the Broncos, 17 carries against Baltimore, which was one of his better games against a tough defense, against Pittsburgh, 21 for 87. Uh, so not the spike in, in terms of yards per carry, but still not bad. So he had the chance to play well against some tougher defenses. It's just a matter of he was terrible in terms of his red zone opportunities, his red zone efficiency. And will he get those chances now that Frank Gore is most likely gone? 
it's going to come down to who they add. You know, if they do add just a pass catcher, I'll be encouraged by Singletary because he'll be in that Jacobs mold of maybe not the level of the airbacks, the overall running backs that we talk about that have the chance to be extremely successful, but still can be the guy that's the workhorse similar to Jacobs in terms of the rushing down production and hopefully score. Can he get to 10 touchdowns? Probably not. I don't think that's going to be realistic for him with what Josh Allen does near the goal line. But can he get to eight total touchdowns? I think that's realistic. What do you have him projected for, Heath? Uh, six, six. So, but, and I've got him for a small increase in touches, but not a huge increase in total production. Right. And so, uh, Ben, where do you come out on that in terms of the touchdown production for Singletary? What's a realistic number you think he can get to? I think six is a great, uh, you know, a great projection. And I think eight, I think you're right. is is probably a realistic number. That's kind of his ceiling. Uh, I think all that really, really fits. The the issue for me for sing like I like Singletary. I wish he was in a different offense, but for Singletary and probably for all Bills during Josh Allen's career, it's going to be an element for me that I, I'm probably going to end up avoiding these guys at cost because Allen just adds so much value on the ground, and he's kind of an inconsistent passer, not very accurate, which is going to be part of the reason why some of his pass catchers aren't going to have as good of efficiency as maybe they should. He misses some throws. Um, now that doesn't maybe explain everything with, with Singletary's low yards per target, but it, Allen takes up so much of the, the production on rushing and is, has never thrown for 300 yards in a game through two years as a starter has never even hit 270 passing yards in a game, even though he has a big arm and we've seen him hit on deep throws, he's never even gotten to 270 passing yards. So this is not a guy that's going to be really great for the skill position players around him. He's better for the Bills as an actual NFL team than he is for, for the fantasy producers in his offense. All right, so we'll see how Singletary goes based on his average draft position. Uh, Todd Gurley or Devin Singletary, who are you taking next year redraft? Gurley. You too, Ben? Yeah, I, no, I would take Singletary. Yeah, Gurley. I would take, I would take Singletary as well. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about Gurley. <laughs> I'm worried about him long term. Yeah, I think, I think most people are, uh, but you still, I guess, just the – Historical yeah, I mean he, he he got through the year. Um, I the thing that will really change it is if if the Rams go back to what their offense looked like before last year or the last five games because his targets just disappeared because those targets were going to tight ends. But there's more history of them throwing to their running backs than the tight ends, so I think I'd expect him to go back a little bit in that regard. And Sean McVay coming out saying he's reinvigorated by the new coaching hires that he made, uh, replacing a lot of guys as we saw last year, Zach Taylor in particular, tie in. Some of that Bengals talk that we were going over with uh, with Joe Mixon. And uh, one other rookie running back that I think falls in line in terms of the featured guys is David Montgomery. Now, there was a lot of hype about him coming into the 2019 campaign. I was certainly somebody that was excited about his chances to be the Bears featured guy. It didn't exactly pan out that way. Now, he was the number 24 running back overall in terms of his Full stats, but on a per-game basis, 10.9 PPR points per game, finishing as the number 33 running back on a per-game basis. Non-PPR, he was the number 21 running back, but again, number 33 on a per-game basis at 9.3 points per game. He was essentially the Bears' featured running back. Double-digit touches in 14 of 16 games, but it didn't exactly pan out very well. So looking at where we have him ranked right now, the consensus is running back 30. I have him at 29. Dave Moore optimistic at 27. Heath, you're the low guy. And number 34, can we see David Montgomery bounce back to what his pre-draft hype was or, or play to the level of what his pre-draft hype was? Or is this kind of just who he is in this offense that he's never going to take that next step and be in the same sort of realm as the other three guys of 
Jacob Sanders and Singletary. See, I think he actually has more upside than Singletary does because I believe that David Montgomery could be a consistent 300-touch guy at some point if he can just outlast Tariq Cohen. I, I do think maybe too much gets made, and I, I'm the low guy on him, so it's funny I'm making this argument but about his inefficiency last year. He was bad, 3.7 yards per carry, but Tariq Cohen averaged 3.3 yards per carry. Mike Davis averaged 2.3 yards per carry. It was a bad situation. Right. If that offensive line is better going into this year, he does some good things after contact. He was just receiving that contact way too soon, didn't have time to get started on a lot of plays. Wasn't great in the passing game, but better than Devin Singletary, and I have more faith in him in the passing game than I do Singletary as well. Ben, what about you? Where do you come out on Montgomery? Is he somebody that can take that next step forward, or is he just kind of stuck in this level of he'll be good, he just won't be great? Well, yeah, I mean, one of the big storylines of the Bears' 2019 season was how many fewer touchdowns they scored as an offense. Uh, I believe it was 44 down to 28 from 2018 to 2019, where they just dropped way off, and it was it was red zone. I mean, that's what we talked about all throughout the season. They were just really bad in the red zone. Their play calling didn't seem to be very effective. Montgomery actually got a lot of touches in that area, but just not well-designed plays and not very effective plays, and they stalled out a ton of drives inside the 10-yard line. You would expect that that more of those will go for touchdowns in 2020. They almost just can't be as bad as they were. Um, so I, I think that would be promising for Montgomery scoring next year. And I agree with Heath that his efficiency, both on a yards per carry or yards per touch basis, and then also looking at his touchdowns, has to improve a little bit and should should be expected to. I have more concerns about Tariq Cohen, I think, though. He was very good. He's been very good all throughout his career. He's, a, he's an athletic player. He's a guy that they like to get the ball in his hands. And later on in the season, it seemed like they were leaning more towards him in key spots than than they were earlier in deferring to Montgomery more earlier in the year. They They seem to like their offense more with his dynamic on the field. Um, so I, I, I'm concerned about Montgomery's passing again, another guy who, uh, that, that pops out for me. Yes. He did not have very many games where he was involved as a receiver, let alone being productive as a receiver. It feels as if he's going to have to have a significant change in that regard. Now I think he could do it. He showed us that a little bit in, in some spurts and you go back to his college days, it seemed as if he could certainly handle that a little bit more, but there production with him was very almost game flow specific when they had a chance to play with the lead he was a little bit better when they were chasing points not so much and you know for a Bears team that had a great defense this sort of factors into the scoring a little bit Ben that you were alluding to the defense took a step back and so when the defense is giving up points and they're having to put the ball in Trubisky's hands and throw a little bit more that hurts what Montgomery should be able to do offensive line is obviously a big concern for the Bears as well so they need to improve their blocking and, and maybe a little bit of a shift in play calling as well it's pretty clear though I think consensus wise he's the fourth of this qua, uh, uh, four running backs that we're talking about here right you, you, you agree with that Ben it's it's Jacobs yep. or Sanders one or two Singletary is going to be a, a I think a pretty consistent third and then Montgomery is is the guy you keep saying I think both of you guys have mentioned this based on cost you're not going to have a lot of Singletary Based on cost, if you're getting Montgomery round five or later, is that the one you might target the most? Yeah, probably. Yeah, and I, I think like I would look at it as kind of three tiers, I guess. I think Sanders and Jacobs are in their own world, and then it's Singletary. And I, I think Montgomery is closer to Singletary than Singletary is to the first two, but he's still a tier below Singletary. You feel the same way, Ben? Exactly. Okay. Uh, we'll see where Montgomery goes based on ADP and how he sort of 
can maybe be the best value of these guys. All right, some other running backs from the 2019 class. Uh, our, our producer, Ben Trager, has put these guys in the handcuff tier, and I think that's uh, appropriate. We'll, we'll sort of combine a bunch of these guys here. So you got Alexander Madison, uh, who we didn't really get a chance to see get the featured work because when Dalvin Cook was out, it was the Mike Boone show, and one game was terrible, as we're all well aware, in Week 16. One game was great. In Week 17, it didn't really matter. Tony Pollard was very popular coming into the start of the 2019 campaign because of the Ezekiel Elliott holdout, but we didn't see a ton of Pollard in terms of getting featured down work. I'm going to combine a lot of these other guys too. So you got Justice Hill, Benny Snell, Daryl Henderson, Darwin Thompson, and Damien Harris. We'll focus on Madison and Pollard first because should something happen to the guys in front of them, they would be stars. But some of these other guys are really interesting as well with Hill, Snell, Henderson, Thompson, and Harris. Uh, of the two guys, Heath, I think the answer is probably obvious, but which do you prefer, Madison or Pollard? I still like Madison better, um, and I, I think like Pollard, they have a similar upside, but I am, I believe more in Madison as a runner. I think Pollard could do a little bit more as a passer. I think there's a better chance that something happens to Dalvin Cook than Ezekiel Elliott based on their history, and hopefully next time Cook goes down, Madison isn't also hurt. Well, I think what we'll also see, and, and, and Ben, jump in here, is that Madison will work in tandem with Cook, whereas Pollard is almost contingent on score or, you know, just a, a series here or there, they seem to want to use Madison as much as they possibly can while giving Dalvin Cook some breaks. Yeah, I think that's all right. I think Madison is, in terms of pure handcuff, is definitely the better option. I would say if, if we were to be able to gaze to a crystal ball and say that both Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott um, were, were to get injured this year, I mean, obviously we don't want to we don't want that to happen at all. But uh, I would probably prefer Tony Pollard at that point. I think he's pretty explosive. He's somebody there was a lot of hype around, and we didn't really um, we didn't really see him until a little bit later in the year. So I, I think people probably overlooking how how good he was. He was efficient on the touches that he got. He looked very explosive. I think in some ways he looked better than Ezekiel Elliott at times last year. They might create a little bit more of a role for him. It's probably not going to happen, but. If he were to get into the lead back role in Dallas, I think his upside would be massive. And I think, you know, you look at it, you mentioned uh, his efficiency. Pollard, 86 carries, 455 yards, 5.3 yards per carry, 15 catches for 107 yards on 20 targets. For Madison, 100 carries, 462 yards, 4.6 yards per carry. Uh, he had 10 catches for 82 yards, just 12 targets. But again, he played a little bit more, as you see by the numbers overall. Uh, 14 more carries, not as many catches, but... Madison, I think if you watched, he had some pretty explosive moments when Minnesota gave him the chance to run the ball. The rest of these guys, Justice Hill, Benny Snell, Daryl Henderson, Darwin Thompson, and Damian Harris are all so interesting because you have Mark Ingram at 30. Is it going to be Gus Edwards and Justice Hill sharing time should something happen to Ingram? We saw last year James Conner got hurt. Benny Snell stepped up. Heath, uh, you know, you sort of alluded to, excuse me, <coughs> about what the Rams will do. Will they give Henderson more work? And then Thompson, as we know, if LaShawn McCoy is done, what happens with Damian Williams and then Damian Harris? Does he get a bigger role? Which of those guys intrigue you the most? I think Henderson may have the most upside of the entire group, and that includes Pollard and Madison, just because of Henderson's skill set and what he's able to do in the passing game, and then the situation with Todd Gurley and the uncertainty about his long-term future. It's easier to see Henderson in a situation to replace Gurley sooner than it is the other two guys, and I think he could do more in terms of receptions. If you're looking at PPR, I, this whole group, as I've been trying to put together the dynasty trade chart, is one of the most difficult parts of the whole process because right. most of them did nothing last year. And so we're just kind of projecting off of what we thought of them coming in, 
and what we think their relative upside is. I gave Henderson the most upside, and he'd be the one I'd be most interesting in, interested in acquiring in Dynasty. What about you, Ben? Which of that group intrigues you the most? It's Henderson and Hill. I, I agree with most of what, what he said, but I'll jump over to Hill just to comment on him. I mean, what we learned last year from this Greg Roman offense uh, and Lamar Jackson playing a full 16 games is how much his athleticism impacted the running back efficiency in his offense. Both Mark Ingrams and Gus Edwards were extremely efficient running in this offense. Now, I, I think that the Ravens like those guys a little bit more. They're a little bit bigger uh, backs, and they're they're typically going to be running on the inside while Lamar Jackson's faking a pull to the outside. So maybe Hill doesn't fit that that exact mold that they're looking at as well. But if he does get the chance eventually to be the lead back in this offense, and they did try to get him snaps even as their third back and get him some touches, if he gets the opportunity in this offense, I think he would be extremely efficient and probably catch more passes than Ingram and those guys because he is a little bit more uh, agile and, and they might run some more screens for him and things like that. So Hill's a guy that I could see in a good offense you know, with the, the efficiency boost that, that Jackson affords his running backs that, that could have a really good year. I don't know if it's because I spoke to Thompson on media night and what he told me about in two years, if I'm not making a lot of money, I'm going to be out of the league. You know, you just look at Damian Williams had a hard time staying healthy two years ago, hard time staying healthy last year. If he gets the chance to be a featured running back in Andy Reid's offense, that could just be amazing. So he's somebody that really excites me if they keep this as the depth chart, Williams one, Thompson two. Yeah, I think, well, is it Williams, Williams, Thompson, or Williams, Thompson, uh, yeah, Williams? Uh, Daryl Williams could factor in as well. I think he fits so perfectly, though, because to be completely honest, the little bit that we did see of Justice Hill, Daryl Henderson, and Darwin Thompson didn't look like they deserved to be on the field all that much more last year. Right Now, I would expect that they all have enormous upside. I wouldn't be all that surprised if we're at week eight of this coming season and one of those guys we're viewing as a week-in, week-out top 12 running back. It's certainly possible. We and were he, close with Benny Snell at one right. point. Not maybe not top twelve, but right. top twenty. You know when Connor was dealing with the injuries and they were just so run heavy. So going to be interesting to see how that goes. So a good crop of running backs to follow. We'll spend a lot of more time talking about the twenty nineteen running backs entering their sophomore campaign. Couple quick news notes, news items to talk about. So Matthew Stafford, there was a report that he's going to be on the trade block now. If the Lions are to trade him. It would cost them $32 million in dead money. I think we all can expect Stafford to be the starting quarterback for the Lions in 2020. Ben, where do you come out on Stafford next year with his fantasy value? He took a big bump uh, this past season. He's someone that for several years, his his average throw depth had, had fallen and was more of like a game manager, uh, which is so weird because of his big arm. But ever since Calvin Johnson retired, his average depth of target was very low, his main two guys that were kind of the the consistent targets throughout that period was Golden Tate and Theo Riddick, two underneath options. Both those guys left over the past year plus, and it allowed Stafford and and the new offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel, allowed Stafford to throw down field more to Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. Offense got way more vertical. His average throw depth was among the league leaders. That's really, really great for his uh, passing yardage upside, his passing um, touchdown upside. And for me, that that makes him a, a much better option going into 2020 than than where I would have had him ranked going into 2019. 
Yeah, he played half the year and was basically on pace for 5,000 yards and 38 touchdowns. I mean, I wouldn't expect that to repeat itself, but I've got him, I think, 12th or 13th in my way too early projections. I, I think he'll, he's one of those guys that if he's available in the 12th round and you just wait forever for quarterback, that you could start off with him as your guy. The only problem is in the division he plays, if he's going to play four games against the Vikings and the Bears, if they start the season off that way, you might be drafting someone you don't want to start in week one or week two. Well, on the Packers, their pass defense was right. certainly the strength of that defense. It was the run defense that was the problem. I think Stafford, as we'll talk about next week, will be one of the popular sleeper quarterbacks yep. for 2020. Jameis Winston is a free agent. We don't know where exactly he's going to play. Tampa Bay may be exploring Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, but Winston... Got LASIK surgery. So one of the more popular jokes that I've seen was he went from 30-30 to 20-20. 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, worse stats in 2020 now with his vision. Uh, I don't have LASIK. I wear contacts. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I don't know how much is going to change his his, uh, his throwing, his his, uh, his playing ability for next year. I mean, if he can see better, I would think that would help. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't think it'll be worse that he can see a little bit better. I, I just hope that he gets to stay in Tampa Bay. I don't want Mike Evans to be relying on Tom Brady to throw the ball 30 yards downfield. Um, or even the balloon balls from Phillip Rivers. I would rather just see Jameis in that spot. Send Rivers to Indy. Ben? If did you, did LASIK, you Jameis Winston? If LASIK turns around Jameis Winston's career, that would be one of the all-time storylines because he definitely looks like when you watch him play, that, that this might be something that could correct his career. He throws a lot of balls where you you ask yourself, what were you seeing? And and maybe he was just seeing blobs. It's going to be interesting. Like, Jameis takes a look at the stats. He goes, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I never realized that was this bad. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk to Emery Hunt, break down week two of the XFL slate from a season-long perspective, but more importantly, from a DFS perspective as we help you win some money. Stay right here. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. All right, we're now joined by our, I'm going to call him our favorite guest. It's Emery Hunt joining us uh, as a contributor from The Athletic and from Sportsline. You can follow him on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. He joined us last week to break down week one of the XFL. It was awesome, so we thought let's bring him back for week two, and we may have you on every week, Emery, because you're just so good at breaking down this new league, and it was a, it was a great start. What was your take on the first four games? How did you think the first weekend went for the XFL? I thought it went really well. You had a lot of different action. You had defensive battles, offensive shootouts. You had great quarterback play. So you saw a little bit of everything from the XFL. Just hope that it continues to grow and get better as we move forward. Guys, what was your take, Ben? Uh, I, I know we guys uh, probably spoke about this earlier in the week, but for our listeners that are just catching up on today's episode, uh, Ben, what was your take on, on week one of the XFL action? Yeah, it was interesting. A lot of different rules. I mean, we, we saw that because of the the running clock on incompletions and out-of-bounds plays up until the point where the clock will stop even on plays inbounds. So you basically have running clock on every play until the, the clock doesn't run on any play. 
we didn't see leading teams run a lot. We saw there wasn't really a need to try to, to run just to keep the clock running. So we saw a lot of uh, leading teams still being willing to pass. Not a lot of running backs racking up rush attempts. It was really quick paced. They have a shorter play clock. I was, you know, I felt like it was uh, an interesting game, a lot of passing and, and fun to watch. A lot of the guys who were really bad in the NFL are still really bad in the XFL. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Chris Michael. <laughs> Cameron Artis Payne. Uh, yeah, it was, it, it was, uh, for someone who took a running back in the first round of an XFL draft, it didn't feel very good. So, Emery, uh, talk about that because, uh, you said there was good quarterback play. You know, PJ Walker was, was sort of the star, Cardell Jones as well. Uh, those two guys had a great debut. Uh, we didn't see Josh Johnson. We didn't see Landry Jones. So those are two more prominent quarterbacks that hopefully will increase some of the production as well. But the run games were just non-existent. Matt Jones was the leading rusher for week one. We just did not see a lot of teams leaning on their ground games. Is that something we should expect moving forward? It's going to be much more of a pass-happy league than a traditional NFL game where you get both balanced running and passing. I think you'll start to see the run game pick up a little bit as we move along because offensive line play is all about continuity. And this was the first time these guys have played together for a full game uh, outside of the scrimmages and practices where you kind of can, you know, script certain drills and certain personnel groupings. But this was the first time the starting five was out there for a full 60 minute game. And that, it takes time. And so we'll start to see these guys start to build that continuity. And the running game will, will be a direct beneficiary of that because the running back is also tied to success of his offensive line. If those guys are on the same page, it makes my job as a back a hell of a lot easier. Leading rusher from week one, just based on yards, uh, Matt Jones, 21 carries for 85 yards. For St. Louis, Devion Smith, uh, 16 carries for 79 yards. And Jordan Tamu, uh, the quarterback for St. Louis, was the third leading rusher on 77 yards rushing. But Elijah Hood, the third leading running back, 12 carries for 43 yards. So you see the drop-off there. It goes from 79 yards for Smith to 43 yards for Elijah Hood, and I didn't even see Kristen Michael on the uh, on the leaderboard list here, Keith. So I don't believe he had a yard. I uh, yeah, so zero. so rough 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 first start for you. The quarterback leaders from League One: P.J. Walker, 272, four touchdowns, one interception. Cardell Jones still undefeated since high school: 235 passing yards, two touchdowns, and uh, the leading receivers were uh, Dan Williams. From Tampa Bay, six catches for 123 yards. Nelson Spruce, 11 catches for 103 yards. And Austin Prohl, one of the stars, five catches, 88 yards, and two touchdowns. Emery, was there a skill position player who impressed you? I know Cam Phillips was somebody you talked about. He had a big game as well, four catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown. You talked about him last week. But is there one guy that stood out to you that you can sort of say maybe this guy could become not necessarily a, a breakout star after week one, but somebody that we should start to keep an eye on over the next few weeks? I would say Nelson Spruce for Los Angeles. You look at what he did with that offense last weekend, and I thought their offense moved the ball well at times against Houston. They just couldn't punch it in the end zone. So I look at what they did well, throwing the football. Now they're going to be without Chad Canoff. They're going to be without potentially uh, Josh Johnson. But whoever gets in there at quarterback is going to be a guy that's going to lean heavily on Nelson Spruce because he showed to make plays uh, down the field, intermediate area of the field. Versus, you know, uh, contact. So he was outstanding in all areas of catching the football. So he's going to be that go-to guy for the Wildcat. So the four games that we have this weekend, we're going to preview them and also give you some options on DraftKings. You got the Guardians at the Defenders. Defenders are a five and a half point favorite. The Vipers at the Dragons. Tampa Bay Vipers at the Seattle Dragons. They're two and a half point favorites on the road. Dallas Renegades are four and a half point road favorites at the LA Wildcats. That could probably change depending on what happens with the quarterbacks there. The St. Louis Blackhawks are at the 
uh, excuse me, Battle Hawks. What did I call them? Blackhawks? Blackhawks. Yeah, Battle Hawks. Uh, I love the Blackhawks in St. Louis. Yeah, probably not so much. St. Louis Battle Hawks are at the Houston Roughnecks, and the Roughnecks are eight and a half point favorites at home. So I'm going to ask you guys this. Who's your favorite quarterback for this week? And this is assuming that some of these guys are healthy, Josh Johnson in particular, but these are the four higher priced quarterbacks on DraftKings. So uh, we'll go in order. Uh, um, Emery, Ben, Heath, and then I'll, I'll chime in. P.J. Walker. Josh Johnson, Cardell Jones, and Matt McGloin. And we got a sliding scale based on price. Walker's at $10,600 on DraftKings all the way down to McGloin at $9,900. Emery, who's your favorite quarterback of that group? I'm going to go with P.J. Walker once again because of the dual threat capability. He can extend plays with his legs, find guys deep down the field both accurately and on time. And when you look at what he did last week against Los Angeles, it was a quintessential dual threat play, make it an 11-on-11 game. He did that to perfection, and that's why he had the success. And I think he's going to have sustained success in this league because of what he can do. Plus, that offense seems to want to push the pace, push the tempo, and we saw that last week against the Wildcats. Ben? I mean, I, I would want to go Walker, too, just to, to piggyback on Emery, who absolutely nailed that call last week and told us all those things last week before his big game. So hopefully you guys are playing him in your, your DraftKings and FanDuel Oh, I contest. listened. I listened. <laughs> I I want to I want to see Brandon Silvers for Seattle is is hurt and might not play. So one other guy that has dual threat capability that I really want to potentially see this week is BJ Daniels uh for Seattle. He got in very briefly. There's some potential that he could get the start this weekend, so I'll throw him out as a cheaper quarterback that you didn't name. If he plays, we might be able to he, he had over 2000 rushing yards at college. We might be able to see some of that dual threat capability out of him as well. And uh Silvers is injured, so BJ Daniels is eight thousand dollars. Silvers, if he does play, is eighty two hundred dollars. But yeah, eight thousand dollars could be a very good price comparatively to Walker, who's at ten thousand six hundred. Yeah, I want to see Landry Jones. Uh, <laughs> like I, I, I didn't play PJ Walker last week. I lost money. I'm not going to make money back by playing him this week when everybody else does. I'm going to play Landry Jones at ninety five hundred. Hopefully, he plays. Um, but it sounds like they think he's going to start, and uh, I'm planning on using him. All right, so the position that was devalued the most is the running back spot, as we sort of alluded to. And so you only have to play one on DraftKings. You can play a couple guys at the flex spot if you like. But here are the uh, higher-priced running backs here. Devion Smith is $7,500 for Tampa Bay. Jarrell Presley, $7,000. Elijah Hood, $6,500. And then so forth uh, on down the line, James Butler, Kenneth Farrow, and Matt Jones. Jones coming in at $5,900, but he did not practice on Wednesday. So... Emery, of that running back list, is there somebody that you like? Is there somebody off the board that you think could be a little bit better this weekend? Well, I'll give you a couple of options because you look at Kenneth Farrow and how well he ran the football last week, I thought, with Seattle. So I would probably lean him to start with a caveat. If you are going to start Quentin Flowers at quarterback, I was at that Tampa Bay-New York game last weekend, and every time Flowers was in the game, Debian Smith had his best rushing of the day. So he was getting positive yards, consistently five yards a carry. When Flowers was in a game, they'll switch back to Murray. He gets stuck. So if they do the right thing and start Quentin Flowers, not only will their offense have much success, but the running game will have a lot of success as well. So when you look at B.J. Daniels possibly getting the start in Seattle, we talked about the mobile quarterback and how he helps aid the run game. To me, that points heavily toward Kenneth Farrell getting a lot of yards on the ground today as they ease B.J. Daniels into the lineup in the passing game. And Farrell was seven carries for 41 yards, also had four catches for 14 yards. So he was involved in the passing game as well. We kind of just talked about the rushing performances for some of these running backs, but some of these guys did well as receivers 
out of the backfield. And there is some talk about Murray not just being hurt and missing the game, but also maybe being benched if, in fact, they want to go in a different direction with Flowers. Ben, of those running backs or maybe somebody off the board that you like here based on the DraftKings pricing, who are you going with? Well, I love both those calls from Emory. I'm I, I'm really liking Davion Smith. Uh, Tampa Bay only scored three points last week, but they had four drives get down inside the 10-yard line, and they gave him four carries inside the 10-yard line. That was easily the most in week one. I think there was only one other back who had two uh, inside the 10 carries last week. So Davion Smith looks like, especially if Quentin Flowers is in, like Emory was saying, looks like he could have some potential to punch in a touchdown or two based on that usage. Two other guys, though, that I want to mention for sure. James Butler, he was the top scoring running back in week one for Houston. And now both Andre Williams and D'Angelo Henderson are on the injury report. Butler played the highest snap share. That's a really good offense. We saw it in week one. I think he's a guy that you definitely got to look at. And then Jarrell Presley, I really liked. Uh, Donnell Pumphrey actually started and, and played quite a bit in the past game. But Pumphrey's a smaller back. Presley led in their rush attempts. He still ran the same amount of routes as Pumphrey. Uh, he should have better days than what he did in week one, and he's someone that that I'm going to be looking at as well. You talked about all the guys I'm playing. Farrow and Butler were the two running backs I had, and I will just say if Butler's the only back, then he should probably be the top play on the slate because they are the biggest favorite there at home. We know from the NFL we like home running backs that are favored. So, yeah, Butler would be my guy. I like Trey Williams, too. He's cheap at $5,000. He was involved in the passing game. Five targets, four catches, 27 yards, scored a touchdown. It's a backfield that also doesn't have a lot of key guys there. So I think you're going to see Williams get an opportunity if he gets a few more carries. But his involvement in the passing game, based on what we saw from week one, you want pass-catching running backs in this league. And Trey Williams seems to be that guy for Seattle. So he's somebody that I'm going to keep an eye on as well for this week, especially based on his price. At the wide receiver position, you got a bunch of guys here that had some good production. Um, Emery alluded to this with Nelson Spruce. He uh, is the most expensive guy, no surprise, $10,400. Eli Rogers, $9,700. He had 30.4% of the target share for D.C. last week. Daniel Williams, $7,600. Another guy you could potentially look at. And Joe Horn Jr., $3,400. He's a little bit on the cheaper side, but 28% of the target share there. Is there some wide receivers that sort of stand out to you going into this week, Emery, that you may be looking at? Well, I think you have to go with Spruce. You know, you talk about a guy that seems to be not dependent on the quarterback that's starting because he's going to find his way to, to the football and they're going to find him, uh, whether it's on first down, third down, inside the red zone. He's going to be the guy that, that quickly gets himself open and therefore he's going to receive a lot of uh, targets, a lot of catches. He has great hands and they're desperate this week. They already fired their DC, so we may see them right. pull all the tricks out of the bag and, and go heavily to their their key guy, which I think is Spruce. Ben, any receivers stand out to you? Yeah, no, I agree. I think Spruce and Phillips, Cam Phillips for Houston, are, are kind of my top tier. Phillips ran a route on all 100, or he played every snap. He played 100% of the snaps, ran a route on all 100% of the dropbacks for Houston. He looks like more like their number one than Sammy Coates. Uh, Coates had a, a tough game, but did see plenty of targets and saw some downfield looks. He's someone who could bounce back. I think we want to target these Houston receivers, especially right now early in the season. Khalil Lewis is the other one. He caught a touchdown. Uh, and, their, and their fourth one was Nick Hawley. He's listed as a running back. One more guy you can consider on the running back side of things. He's playing full-time as a receiver, listed as a running back. And we do like that that pass-catching upside. So I, I really like those Houston guys. And then, yeah, I think Joe Horn is probably the best cheaper receiver that you mentioned his his price didn't come up even though he saw a, a really solid target share and was very involved for New York. Yeah, and I would just lean towards basically the Dallas wide receivers, Jeff Bidet, Flynn Nagel. Um, I expect they're going to have better quarterback play this week, and they're going to throw just a little bit more. And L.A. was, was pretty wanna, awful, too. Yeah. 
Sorry, go ahead. Can, can I ju- jump in right quick and, and give you another sleeper? Uh, tight end. Kyrie Lee for uh, D.C. should have DC. a big day. We saw, we saw last week against Tampa Bay, they targeted the tight ends a lot. Tight end had a lot of drops. Uh, so that tells you that, that vulnerability over the middle of the field for that New York defense. And quiet is kept. You look at what they can do throwing the football. I'm talking about the defenders. Kyrie Lee should have a big day catching the football from Cardell Jones. All right, so last week, Emery, when I asked you, give me somebody that we hadn't talked about. You said, I'm going to give you some defenses, and you called the New York Guardians. They paid off. They had 24 DraftKings points. They were awesome. So which of the defenses do you like this week, just based on the slate again? The uh, the four games that we're looking at are New York and D.C., Tampa Bay, Seattle, Dallas, and L.A., and St. Louis and Houston. I'm going to go with the D.C. defenders' defense against the New York Guardians. It's funny because we're talking about how bad Tampa Bay's offense was. And that was a big story coming from that ball game. It took a lot of the smoke off of the New York Guardians offense that was just as bad, but it wasn't as bad as Tampa Bay. So when you look at how well uh, D.C.'s offense can put pressure on opposing defenses by scoring, it's going to put a lot of pressure on that New York offense to match that tempo, match that pace, match that production. They won't be able to do so because I don't trust their quarterback situation right now. But Matt McGloin, he has to play better. And it won't get better against D.C. So I would start D.C.'s defense against the Guardian. All right, Ben, give me your uh, DraftKings lineup. Have you built one yet? What do you got? Yeah, I, I built, a, a. I think, what will end up being a pretty chalky lineup. But uh, it's Philip Walker and Cam Phillips as the quarterback receiver stack. I had Davion Smith in there, Nelson Spruce, who we talked a lot about, Joe Horn as a cheap receiver. And then to, to fill that out, I added Malachi Dupree from D.C., who – was involved, but was definitely a little bit further down the target totem pole. Um, think he could be a guy that, you know, if it's not Kyrie Lee, who who Emery was talking about, it might be Malachi Dupree this week. So he's the other one I added. And then I, I threw in the Renegades defense on the road at L.A. But I don't I don't feel great about any of the defenses this week. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I, you know, I just played the cheapest defense. Seattle is three thousand dollars there. I couple hundred dollars cheaper than anyone else and they're playing the offense that was the worst in week one so that seems like hopefully at home they'll come through um i've got a dallas la stack so landry jones jeff Bidet, flynn nagel and nelson spruce and then the running backs have got uh, Farrow and butler who we already talked about do you have a pivot if landry does not play i don't right now <laughs> we'll I'm figure surprised. it out then i'm shocked uh i'm gonna go with uh walker and phillips as well i'm gonna go Farrow at the running back spot i'm gonna play prole again just with the hope that he's still involved five catches 88 yards two touchdowns last week i'm gonna play butler and trey williams at the two flex spots and then i took emory's advice and i put the defenders in there swapped that out as he was talking because he was so good at helping us last week and i think he's going to be so good at helping us not just this week but hopefully as long as he's willing to join us because he is great at breaking down the xfl you can follow emory hunt on twitter at f ball game plan again he writes for the athletic joins us on Sportsline as well emory we appreciate you taking the time to join us here on our fantasy football today podcast thank you so much as always appreciate you guys good luck this week yes good luck to everybody playing dfs and he seasonal leagues as well i kicked your butt last week and i'm coming for you ben trager in the battle for first place in the xfl league that we are all a part of for ben gretch heath cummings i'm jamie eisenberg have a wonderful valentine's day we'll be back next week breaking down sleepers as well as looking at the xfl once again okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 